Monday. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products including Kratom, CBD, or Delta 8. They're here to help if you're looking for something with pain or anxiety or just an opioid alternative. Artisan Botanicals has options for you. They have a staff dedicated to helping you live a better life, so don't hesitate to give them a call. 405-458-9699. Plus, we're saving you 15% when you order online. Visit abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code COLBYSHOW, and you'll save 15% off your online order. Once again, abotanicalcompany.com. All right, it is Monday. The NFL draft came and went first round Thursday night, second and third rounds Friday night, and then the final four rounds on Saturday. Um, I was able to watch everything through the sixth round, and then I had to follow the seventh round on my phone as we had a graduation dinner uh, on Saturday evening. But, man, this thing was was wild. Um, I have so many thoughts about where the Sooners went and the Cowboys went, and obviously Zayvon Collins to Arizona. Um, I definitely have a list of draft winners, and I definitely have thoughts on the Dallas Cowboys. So, so let's start with the Dallas Cowboys. Round one, uh, you know, we went into this thing knowing that defense was a priority. They needed defensive help in all three levels. But look, I, I would say that going into this draft, certainly interior defensive linemen, corners, and safeties for me were at the top of that list. Uh, defensive ends, edge rushers, whatever you want to call them, and linebackers were probably, you know, in the second tier of defensive needs. But then you kind of look at the draft and positional value. Obviously, safety isn't a premium position in the NFL draft. So you kind of have to take into consideration a combination of best player available, uh, premium positions in the draft, and draft needs. Um, So going into that first round, I think most people kind of felt like it was Patrick Sertan or J.C. Horn. I think the majority of people rated Patrick Sertan as the better corner I was told in the couple days leading up to the first round of the NFL draft that potentially J.C. Horn had become the Cowboys' favorite target at 10. Again, we'll never know if that for sure was the pick, but um, I I had people tell me, swear to me, on Friday after the first round that J.C. Horn was the guy they would have taken if both corners were available. Horn goes 8, Patrick Sertan goes 9, And then all of a sudden, the Dallas Cowboys are on the clock at 10 with their top two targets gone. And no Kyle Pitts, obviously, gone at four. No Panay Sewell gone to the Detroit Lions. I thought that Rashawn Slater made a lot of sense if they wanted to go that route. But again, this was a draft that they felt like they needed to add defense. They needed to get defensive playmakers. So they trade out of the 10 spot. They add a third-round pick, which, again, I think when you look at what Dallas needed to accomplish in this draft, they needed to just get a lot of defensive bodies. So to trade down two spots, still get the best defensive player in the draft in Micah Parsons, add a third-rounder to obviously use for another defensive need, uh, I thought was a home run, all things considered, in the first round. Again, you, you can you can grade the Cowboys a D if you want to, but... They didn't, they didn't have control over getting the two guys that they really wanted with Horner Sertan. So if, so when you consider those guys were gone, the trade down made a ton of sense and you get a, a difference maker like my, Micah Parsons. So going into the second round, I put a list together of the guys that I thought made sense for Dallas uh, from a positional standpoint, from a best player available standpoint, and from a need standpoint. And I also didn't, didn't really think it was reasonable that Trayvon Merrick was going to make it to 44. So um, while he was on my list, I thought it was really going to come down to a guy like Tyson Campbell out of Georgia, Richie Grant from UCF, or Javon Holland from Oregon. I liked any of those three picks, and I thought any of those three picks would have been home runs for Dallas in the second round. I think Tyson Campbell was the first pick in the second round. Javon Holland might have followed him or maybe two picks later, and then Richie Grant comes off the board. Like, literally in the first four or five picks of the second round, those three guys were gone. And watching it, I'm just beside myself because I I never would have imagined that all three of those guys would have been off the board by 44. But Trayvon Merrick's still there, and he continues to slip and slip and slip, and then the Raiders trade up one spot before the Dallas Cowboys, take the safety out of TCU, And Dallas swears that Kelvin Joseph was the pick all along. Um, Of course, they're going to say that. I don't think they're going to say, yeah, we took Kelvin Joseph, but that's not the guy we really wanted. Um, So, you know, it's one of those things where I think history may have gone differently if Trayvon Merrick would have been on the board. But they said that that Kelvin Joseph was their guy all along. 
And look, I think Kelvin Joseph is a terrific player. In fact, on that same list, he was a little bit further down as far as my wish list for the 44th pick. So they got a guy that I really liked that I think is a good corner. Um, he was just a little lower on the list. And, and I think when you consider the whole thing of Trayvon Merrick slipping and you start to get your hopes up that Merrick's going to be the pick and then he goes one pick before Dallas selects, it kind of makes your pick a little bit underwhelming. So by no fault of Kelvin Joseph, uh, the 44th pick felt a little underwhelming because the guys at the top of the list were gone and then Merrick goes the pick before. So it kind of made that one sting a little bit. But look, in, in just if you're just evaluating the players they got, Micah Parsons, difference maker at linebacker. Kelvin Joseph was one of the best corners in this draft. I, I had him, I think, in the seven range as far as the cornerbacks in this draft. And uh, they they got a good one. They got a guy that I think it will absolutely start for them, potentially as the best corner on their team. So, you know, Trayvon Diggs was really good a year ago, uh, or, or I should say showed flashes of being really good a year ago. He had his struggles as a rookie, but... I think Kelvin Joseph will be a nice compliment on the other side of Trayvon Diggs. So uh, they address the cornerback position. And then we get to round three. And this was, uh, this was a round I was really excited about. There were a lot of, of really talented defensive players on the board going into round three that I thought uh, Dallas was going to have the opportunity to get. And you get to 75. They had pick 84 and they had pick 99. So we'll start with 75. Osa Odigizua. Uh, the the defensive lineman, I mean, he's he's a little bit versatile in where you can play him, but uh, defensive lineman UCLA, I think the one the one trait of his that makes him special is his ability to to pass rush, to beat offensive linemen, and get after the quarterback, which is a invaluable resource in in today's NFL. So I like the pick from that perspective. You know, I think for Dallas, I'm curious to know how they're going to use him. And and furthermore, you know what kind of what kind of three down player will he be, or will he be a three down player? Because based on everything that I've seen from him, he doesn't look great in the run game. But again, he's special as a pass rusher. So maybe he's a sub package guy. Maybe he's a third down defensive lineman that comes in to get the quarterback. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that works out. But look, I, I like the upside. I like what he brings to the table. I thought that was a solid pick. I do think they took him above some other guys at his position that I I, I liked a little bit more. Um, but again, if you're just looking for a guy to go get the quarterback in that spot, then I, I think they nailed it with the 75 pick. Now, the two other picks in the third round, this is where it gets a little curious. So they took Chauncey Golston, the defensive end out of Iowa, with the 84th pick. This was the one they got from Philadelphia when they traded down two spots to get Micah Parsons. So they add the 84th pick. Chauncey Golston is a guy that I did a bunch of seven-round mock drafts over the last month, and this was a guy that I I, I really liked for Dallas. So I, I like that Dallas was able to get him, but consistently I, I was seeing where he's probably a final three-round type of guy, and I was getting him in mock drafts anywhere from the fifth to sixth round. Um Again, I, I think as far as positionally, there there might have been one or two guys that I had ranked ahead of him when Dallas took him, but I don't think the edge was, you know, between those those guys significant. Ultimately, it just kind of became a situation where there were just much higher rated players, I think, on the board than Chauncey Golston. So if they were dead set on getting a defensive end in that spot, and that's that's the position they wanted to address there, then I don't think this is a bad selection. But Again, I, I just thought there were a lot of players in a lot of other positions that were much higher rated than Chauncey Golston there. So um, I, I like the pick. Again, I think he's a guy that will make the team. I think he'll be a rotational defensive end. He's not a flashy guy, but look, you can't have 11 flashy guys on the football field. You've got to have some of those you know, run stoppers and, and people that do all the things that you know Demarcus Lawrence isn't going to do, for example. So I think this will be a hardworking guy that you know maybe becomes a, a long-term pro. Um, I, I heard the comp to Tyrone Crawford over the weekend on him. So maybe he, he plays the Tyrone Crawford position for a decade for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, anyway, I, I do like the pick. Um, but you know we're, we evaluate the draft by draft value. So that, that plays a role here. So then we get to 99. This, this is probably the most interesting pick of the entire draft for Dallas because, and I say interesting, not in a good or bad way necessarily, but just in a, like, I was really confused by the direction they went. Um, so I, Elijah Molden 
out of Washington is a guy that I, I think is the best nickel corner in this entire draft. And you look at today's NFL, and I know that there's still this idea that a nickel defense is kind of a sub package, but the bottom line is, I mean, uh, there are so many pass happy teams in today's NFL. There are so many teams that play three wide receiver sets. And when you look at even this draft, how many guys were taken in the first three, four rounds that are those, you know, twitchy slot cornerback type of guys. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a big reason why Tylen Wallace fell as far as he did, because there were so many slot receivers taken before Tylen Wallace teams are looking for that guy that, you know, five ten guy that's really quick off the line that you can get the ball to in space. Rondell Moore, Kadarius, Tony, uh, Tutu Atwell. There's a whole bunch of those guys in this draft. Um, I think in today's NFL, you have to have, you can't just line up, you know, strong safeties or linebackers on those guys. You're going to get toasted. So you have to have a nickel corner for a lot of teams in this league. And I thought I, Elijah Molden was the very best guy available in this draft. He was available at 99 and they took a cornerback that once again, I love the length from Nashawn Wright. I think there is a lot of potential. There's a high ceiling for him. But I, I, again, I think he was a day three guy that uh, I, I just didn't really see the value in that pick. I, I felt like they probably still could have got him a round or two later. So, you know, we'll never know. Uh, that's one of those things like maybe we all undervalued him and maybe several several NFL teams valued him as a third and fourth rounder and maybe he doesn't make it to their next pick. But Elijah Molden being, and, and the other thing is Elijah Molden went the very next pick to the Tennessee Titans pick number 100. So, you know, maybe two years down the road, Elijah Molden doesn't do anything and, and Nashawn Wright's a pro bowler. And uh, I eat my words here, but I, I, I do feel like from a talent perspective, Elijah Molden was a first to second round talent. And uh, him being available at 99 to me was mind blowing. And, and Dallas needed secondary help across the board, not just outside corners. They needed a nickel corner. They need safety help. Uh, there were just so many directions they could have gone with that. So that was the, like I said, the most interesting pick to me for Dallas at the end of the third round. But on the first two days, they addressed the defense, five consecutive picks. I think all of those guys have the opportunity to potentially contribute for this football team. So then we start day three on Saturday. Dallas was picking at 115. I thought the best player available uh, in the draft or the best two players available uh, were Davion Nixon at that point, uh, Jamar Johnson, Jabril Cox. I mean, there was there was a few guys that I was really shocked were still on the board when the draft started Saturday morning on day three. And I for sure thought, like, if you get the chance to draft Jamar Johnson today, uh, you've got to take him. Because, again, I know they took a couple of corners in the in the second and third rounds, but the, the secondary is so atrocious. They... I thought they needed to to continue to dedicate resources to it. Um, that said, when Jabril Cox was still there at 115, like this is a, I, I think Jabril Cox was a top 50 player in the draft. I think he's that good. And for him to still be on the board to me was just crazy. And all of a sudden, they're on the clock at 115. I know linebacker, again, wasn't a primary need as far as the defense goes. But to get a player of that caliber in the fourth was an absolute steal. I mean, if we want to talk about the biggest draft steals in this, which we will in a minute, he's 100% on that list and probably in the top two or three uh, biggest steals in this draft. Jabril Cox in the fourth round, amazing for Dallas. And, and look, I think that really makes us question the long-term futures of both Leighton Vander Esch and Jalen Smith on this football team when you consider Micah Parsons and Jabril Cox being draft picks for Dallas and... You know, those guys have been good at times. Um, certainly last year with both of those guys, we saw regression for the Cowboys. But especially with Leighton Vander Esch, there's been so many injury issues. You know, line, you can say linebacker's not a need, but when that guy isn't on the football field, then it, it does in some way become a need. Because while you have a guy that you really like, we can no longer just assume that he's going to be out there. He's missed so much football at this point. You have to assume that that trend is going to continue. So you have to get other bodies. And then you add the, you know, the retirement of Sean Lee, obviously they just needed linebacker help. And I, I just thought they needed defensive help in general. So um, from that perspective, again, I, Jabril Cox, what a steal in the fifth round. Uh, and then you just, you know, you continue along in day three and uh, the, the pick that probably bothers me the most was their very next pick at 138. They get Josh Ball, the offensive tackle out of Marshall, who is a Florida State transfer, has uh, off-the-field problems. I read 
something like 11 um, physical altercations with an ex-girlfriend. The reason for the the transfer and obviously the reason for the drop, I think it was Dane Brugler said that this guy was a second-round talent uh, if you take away any character concerns. So, you know, from a talent standpoint, it sounds like Dallas got a good player. But again, I mean, 11 physical, that's just a shocking number. Um, I'm not going to pretend to know a whole lot about that situation. I don't know anything about that situation, but that's kind of a shocking thing to hear. 11 physical altercations for this guy, but maybe a talented player. I, I would have loved Jamar Johnson in that spot, the safety out of Indiana. Um, or, you know, my highest rated tackle on the board at that point was Deontay Smith, a kid that I think has as much upside as any offensive lineman in this entire draft. And then the Cincinnati Bengals, a lot like the Elijah Molden situation, the Cincinnati Bengals take Deontay Smith, the very next pick, which was, again, just another gut punch when there's a guy that you really like right there. The Dallas Cowboys make their selection, and then that guy comes off the board with the very next pick. So, uh, look, overall, um, I I think Dallas did a solid job. I think they got... uh, Offense, a couple of offensive linemen that are potentially developmental guys. Um, they swear the offensive line is healthy now and it's not going to be an issue. I have my my doubts about that. But if all of those guys can play 16, 17 games, then, you know, that is a good group. But uh, you, you have to start considering, once again, the trend of those guys not being healthy and needing depth on the offensive line. And then again, defensively, I think there are a couple like actual difference makers that they drafted with Micah Parsons and Jabril Cox. And then I think there are a bunch of guys that are just going to play and Dallas needs bodies defensively. I don't even know that it was necessarily as much about um, getting, you know, guys that are future pro bowlers as much as like, let's just upgrade the personnel we have defensively. And I think they were able to do that. So um, there's a lot of upside. They got a lot of length, a lot of athleticism with uh, their picks. And uh, again, I'm really, I'll be really curious to see, who ultimately makes the roster by the time the football season starts. But I think every defensive player they drafted in this draft, eight of them, I think every one of those guys will have a decent chance to make the team. That's how much help Dallas needs defensively. So I don't think it was a great draft, but I think it was a solid draft. I think they accomplished what they needed to accomplish, and uh, the defense will be better next year. Just, you know, just simply from removing the defensive coordinator, getting new blood in there and the players they were able to add. All right, let's let's uh, let's hit OU and OSU, the players that were drafted, and then I'll, I'll give you my big winners of this draft because I thought there were a bunch of teams that did really well in this, including some teams that already have uh, a handful of uh, Sooners and Cowboys on them. So um, Creed Humphrey goes in the second round, pick 31 in the second round to the Kansas City Chiefs. I thought there was a chance that Creed could be a first-round pick, um, once again, this is a, a, a position at center that isn't highly valued in the first round. I mean, some years we see a center go, but it's hit and miss. I, I went back and looked at like the last 10 or 15 years uh, over the weekend at the amount of centers that had been taken in the first round. And it's, it's about, you know, every other year. I think half of those years, one center was taken in the first. I think one year there were two, and then the other half, there were none. So it's not a highly valued position in the first round. We didn't see any go in the first round this year. And then we saw two actually go before Creed Humphrey, which might have been the most shocking part of all that, um, to see Creed Humphrey still on the board at 31 with two centers gone was a big surprise to me. But look, if you are a fan of Creed Humphrey, and I'm sure Creed would tell you this, uh, you know, despite not making as much money as maybe he would have liked if he got taken at the end of the first round, I don't think he could have landed in a better position. I think this is about the best case scenario uh, there are a couple other spots that make sense for him, but when you consider Kansas City's been in two straight Super Bowls, the reason they're not back-to-back Super Bowl winners because the offensive line was in complete shambles in last year's Super Bowl. They have completely retooled that offensive line this offseason. They make the trade for Orlando Brown using their 31st pick, so they, they solidify their left tackle. Um, they brought in Austin Blythe, the center from the Rams, who was on the Rams Super Bowl team a couple years ago. Um, so, you know, again, it's Creed doesn't have to go in and play center immediately. They have a veteran that can play immediately. And look, if, if maybe Creed pushes him for the starting role, maybe Creed gets it. That wouldn't shock me at all because I think he's that good. But it's nice to have the luxury of not 
having to play him immediately. I think he could potentially be an option at guard. Um, they were able to add a couple of guards this offseason. Uh, so once again, you're just you're you don't have to be in a hurry for Creed Humphrey. And I think by that he's played in an up tempo Oklahoma offense behind you know in front of Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. So. I just think the sky is the limit for what Creed could be in Kansas City. This guy could become a perennial Pro Bowl caliber player in Kansas City. So I I think it was that was a home run pick for the Chiefs as far as I'm concerned. Uh, They got another one in the sixth round with Trey Smith, who was, you know, a guy that probably should have been a day two offensive lineman, but has a lot of of injury history. Uh, So he fell. But, you know, if he turns into a contributor, Creed Humphrey is there. They already Look across that offensive line. You're getting um, Duvernay. Uh, is it Tardif Duvernay or Duvernay Tardif? I can't remember. Uh, anyway, um, they're getting him back on the offensive line. As I mentioned, Austin Blythe, Orlando Brown, uh, Lucas Niang. Um, that that group is is completely made over, and it, it's going to go from a an absolute weakness in the Super Bowl to one of the best offensive lines if healthy in the NFL. So a uh, great deal for Creed Humphrey. Same thing for Ronnie Perkins. Like we're all watching this NFL draft. And I thought probably a late second round pick was where Ronnie Perkins would come off the board. And then we see the third round get there and he's still there. And we see uh, pick after pick after pick in the third round go. And it, it you know, I, I started to wonder like, is Ronnie Perkins going to get out of the third? Is Ronnie Perkins going to be a day three steal for somebody? And finally, the New England Patriots pulled the trigger on Ronnie Perkins. Uh, he goes at, I think, pick 96-ish uh, of the overall draft, which I think when you look at his ability, his talent level, uh, to go 96 to the Patriots, the Patri- that's, again, a massive steal for New England. If you take away the suspension, and this guy plays a full year, I, he's maybe late first round, but definitely second round. I mean, that, that probably was the reason for the slip. Uh, and, you know, we see all kinds of weird stuff in the NFL draft. And, and you know, some teams take guys off their boards for, for certain things. I don't know the reason Ronnie Perkins slipped as far as he did, but I, I, if you just look at the tape and what he meant to the Oklahoma defense, they became one of the best defenses in college football last year when Ronnie Perkins was rolling. So um, I, I think this was a great selection for the New England Patriots. And I think he's going to be a guy that contributes immediately. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, also a pick for the Patriots in the fourth round that I think is, I'm not going to say steal because, you know, in the fourth round, that was, that was kind of the expectation for him. But I I think in terms of fit, uh, great fit to New England. He just feels like a New England Patriots running back. I've, a lot of the comps for Ramondre Stevenson were LeGarrette Blunt. Obviously he's a guy that had a lot of success in New England's scheme and, Uh, I think the same is true of Ronnie, uh, uh, Ramondre Stevenson. I think he's a guy that's, they're really going to like. Um, There's a lot of versatility there, and I think they're going to be shocked at the overall athleticism and overall skill set that he brings to the table when he actually gets there. So, great pick as far as that part goes. Uh, Trey Brown to the Seahawks, uh, also in the fourth round. And then... um, Trey Norwood to the Steelers in the seventh round. So five Sooners drafted overall. Adrian Ely, undrafted free agent, goes to, guess where? The Baltimore Ravens, uh, OU East, as uh, as we call it. So the Ravens add another Sooner with uh, undrafted free agent Adrian Ely. Oklahoma State Cowboys, Tevin Jenkins was a guy that I definitely thought was going to be a first-round pick. I think if if we just look at the Big 12 guys, to me, he seemed like probably the safest pick to be taken in the first round because we expected there was going to be a tackle run uh, in those final 10 to 12 picks in, in the first round of the NFL draft, and it didn't really happen, right? Like, all of a sudden, Christian Derisaw slides, and, you know, that makes everybody else slide. Christian Derisaw didn't come off the board until 23, so we really saw the, dra- the tackles in the, in the later stages of the first round fall a little bit because uh, teams went in other directions earlier and it made, you know, Derisaw obviously available. And then here's the other thing. You know, a lot of people felt like Chicago was an offensive tackle destination. They end up trading up. I think they get the best pick in the NFL draft uh, with with uh, Justin Fields, my quarterback two in this draft. They get him outside of the top 10. Uh, that, that was a massive steal. So, you know, they weren't there at 20 to potentially take Tevin Jenkins, but they still get him in the second round. So, 
that was a great pick for Chicago. Um, and again, a guy that uh, I thought would be a first round pick, but look, he gets taken seven picks into the second round. So um, good for him. Chuba Hubbard. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a lot of people ask me this question on Saturday about Chuba Hubbard and how far he was going to slide and the overall value and, you know, what would have happened a year ago. I think most people in the draft industry viewed Chuba as a round two to round three pick if he had come out a year ago. Um, he was coming off a 2,000-yard season. Obviously, all the big runs that he made uh, two years ago, like probably a day two guy. Now, maybe there's a chance. I mean, we saw you know the running back class a year ago with guys like J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor um, you know, go in the second round. So maybe he slips a little bit further even if he comes out a year ago. But uh, I, I definitely thought he would have been a day two pick last season. Um, and then you get to this year's draft. And, you know, I think over the course of the process from the end of the season until the actual NFL draft, I saw him slated anywhere from the fifth round to the seventh round. And really, I think in the later stages of this process, I was seeing a lot of like round six, round seven projections for Chuba. So for him to go in the fourth, I think was higher than a lot of people felt like he was going to go. And, and look, if you had bet me money that he would go before Tylen Wallace, I would have taken that bet and I would have lost money. So Chuba Hubbard goes before Tylen Wallace. He goes to the Carolina Panthers. I love the fit uh, to be a complimentary piece to Christian McCaffrey. Uh, with that speed, I, I love the fit for him. And, and look, Matt Rule is obviously familiar with Chuba Hubbard. So um, I think Matt Rule's getting a guy that he's watched in the Big 12 play football and knows what the overall skill set is. So uh, I like that pick. Uh, Tylen Wallace, you know, I, I mentioned this with Jabril Cox and, and uh, Creed Humphrey. Tylen Wallace, one of the biggest deals in the draft as well. Um, he goes in the fourth round to the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens are so interesting because I think they have one of the best offenses in the league, but they're really lacking downfield playmakers. Um, you, you love Mark Andrews as a tight end. He's one of the best pass-catching tight ends in the league, but he doesn't really stretch the field. Hollywood Brown, to me, is a dynamic playmaker, but I think when you look at that receiving core, he's been their best quote-unquote wide receiver. But, I, you know, I, I like him better as a, a potential slot guy that you can occasionally use the speed over the top. And I think with what they did adding Rashad Bateman and Tylen Wallace, those guys are going to be the downfield receiver guys. And I think it just opens things up for Hollywood Brown and the overall versatility that he brings. So I think adding those two guys to the offense will make Hollywood Brown better. I think it gives you significantly better options as far as his usage. And Bateman and Tylen Wallace are just playmakers. Like if, if Lamar Jackson needed guys that can make plays on the football down the field, Rashad Bateman and Tylen Wallace will do that. Quite a few people um, made this statement to me over the weekend, and I can't remember exactly how many quote-unquote receivers went before Tylen Wallace, but I think at one point the number was like 16 or 17. I, again, I don't know the final number as far as receivers, but somebody told me like there are not 16 or 17 receivers in the NFL draft better than Tylen Wallace, which I, I would agree with that sentiment in general. Yes, you're right. There are not 16 or 17 better pass catching pass catching receivers than Tylen Wallace. But I say this all the time. The NFL has changed, and we don't just view guys as quote unquote receivers. You know, the guys that are taken in the first round are probably just quote unquote receivers, and the verse they're so good that the versatility is there. They can do about whatever you ask from them. But I think in today's NFL, after you get those Jamar Chases and Jalen Waddles off the board. Uh, you start looking at, you know, specific attributes for these guys and how they specifically help your football team. I mentioned this with Elijah Molden earlier. He's a nickel cornerback, and you have to have those guys because so many teams are playing that slot, that that true slot receiver now. Um, you know, is is Tutu Atwell or Kadarius Toney or Elijah Moore or, you know, name your slot receiver in this draft. Are they better, per se, than Tylen Wallace? I don't know. I mean... I, those guys, I think I did have all rated ahead of Tylen Wallace. But my point here isn't that Tylen Wallace is not the you know the number fifteen receiver. It's that teams were looking at the receiver position for other needs. They weren't looking for a down th downfield guy as much as they were looking for you know that slot receiver that you can you can give the ball to on jet sweeps and and run a lot of underneath stuff. So 
I, again, I don't think it's as simple anymore in the NFL draft as just saying, like, I need a receiver. Who's the best available? It's now become more about, I need a receiver. Here's what I have, and this is the type of receiver I don't have, so this is what I'm looking for, this specific skill set. And, you know, Tylen Wallace is, is I, I don't see him being, you know, a Kadarius Tony type. I, I don't see his skill set, if somebody asked him to do that, working as well as being a downfield threat. So I think you have to remember, you know, in the NFL draft, you have to remember that. It's not necessarily just about taking the best receiver, period, available. It's about taking the best receiver that matches what you need from that role um, at at this stage of of the NFL draft. So I definitely think Tylen Wallace is better than whatever number receiver he was taken off the board. But you have to remember at least half of those guys that were taken in front of him do what he doesn't do. So, you know, I don't think it was like, should we draft Kadarius Toney or Tylen Wallace? Like, I don't think those guys are viewed in the same way. They're, they're, even, even though they're both receivers, I think that for me at least, and I do this on my board, I have them in different categories. Uh, so um, I, that, that's just something to remember when we talk about uh, the receiver position and what it's become in the NFL and, you know, the Tylen Wallace situation. So, uh, but Tylen Wallace, uh, again, one of the best picks and steals in this draft to the Ravens. Uh, and then we had uh, Rodarius Williams, a guy that I thought probably would have been like a fourth or fifth round guy in this draft. He goes in the sixth round to the Raiders. Um, again, as far as value picks, this is a long corner that had multiple years of good production at Oklahoma State. I don't, he's not a shutdown corner. I, I, you know, I, he's not Patrick Sertan, obviously. He's not J.C. Horn, but I, this is another one of those guys. I talked about this with a couple of the Dallas Cowboys picks. Um, where he may not ever be a flashy NFL pro, but it wouldn't shock me to see Rodarius Williams as, you know, like a eight to 10 year veteran in the NFL, just because I, he is, he's got the length, he's got the athleticism. Um, and you know, we've just seen him play that position at a high level for a long time. So I, I like that pick for the giants. Um, and then we saw, let's see, Bundage, I think was an undrafted free agent to the Steelers. Uh, Dylan Stoner, an undrafted free agent to the uh, Raiders. Maybe the Hunter Renfro 2.0. Uh, Cameron Murray, undrafted free agent to the Cardinals. So I think that covers all the Oklahoma State Cowboys in the draft. All right, my favorite draft classes. Uh, I already talked about the Cowboys. I, I don't think it was a great draft, but I think it was a solid draft. Um, if we go back to night one of the NFL draft, I think the two teams that really stood out to me were the Cardinals taking Zayvon Collins and the Browns picking at 26 and getting Greg Newsom the second. I thought that was a home run pick. So I was really curious to see what both of those teams would do to add to what I thought was already a terrific start to the draft. And when it's all said and done and the dust settles, uh, I, I have those those two teams on my winners list. Um, the Cardinals, to a lesser degree, just because they didn't have as many picks as everybody else, but I thought they made the most of the picks they had. Rondale Moore going in the second round, to think about what he did at Purdue and the way that Cliff Kingsbury can use him in that offense and all the different gadget plays that you can throw in with Rondell Moore. Uh, and, you know, obviously they brought in A.J. Green. DeAndre Hopkins is a beast. Kyler Murray. I, I will really love to see what they do with Rondell Moore in Arizona. And then, you know, they they add several secondary players on day three. Marco Wilson, Tay Gowan. James Wiggins was a guy I was really hoping Dallas might take in the sixth or seventh round. He goes, I think, in the seventh round uh, to Arizona. So um, good job by the Cardinals there. I think that in the AFC North, this is the uh, Browns, Ravens, Bengals, Steelers uh, division. The Steelers were okay. I don't think it was terrible, but it didn't necessarily blow me away. The other three teams in the AFC North, I thought, all just killed it. Uh, the Browns get Greg Newsom the second in the first round. I thought one of the best picks in this draft. Then Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa out of Notre Dame, who's a, a tweener, uh, linebacker safety tweener, uh, in the se- in the second round. That's a great pick. You know, I, I said I thought he could go 15, or I thought he could go undrafted when we started the the first round on on Thursday night. Um, he's just a football player, and he doesn't he doesn't necessarily like fit a specific this or that necessarily. But if you can figure out a way to get him on the football field, 
I, you know, just just his football ability is more than worth the gamble in the second round. So I thought uh, getting JOK in the second round was a home run. Then in the third round, they add Anthony Schwartz. I know that offense isn't really a need per se. I mean, offensively, they have pass catchers. They have best offensive line maybe in the league. Uh, they have solid running backs. But Schwartz is a is a 4-2-40 guy. Like, this is a world-class sprinter. So when you look at Odell Beckham and the tight ends and Jarvis Landry as far as being an underneath guy, like having that guy that can take the top off a of defense with Schwartz is a really nice compliment. And again, I, I don't, he's another example here. Like, I don't think he's a better receiver than Tylen Wallace is, but the Browns took him in the third round because he brings that speed and that, you know, take the top off the defense uh, part to the, the Browns receiving core that wasn't there. So, you know, if that had been tight, like if you ask me what's the better fit, I think it's probably Schwartz because I think he just, he, he, his skill set gives the Browns something they didn't have. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I think that uh, this was a really good pick again to take the top off the defense. And then, you know, the third round to get a developmental tackle like James Hudson, who could potentially be a, a starter down the road is great. It's not like it's a need necessarily. They have a terrific offensive line, but this guy has a, a, a big ceiling. So, uh, James Hudson potentially becomes a tackle for them in the future. Tommy Togiai uh, was a guy that I thought would be a day two uh, draft pick, probably around the third round. Uh, and again, this is one of those guys that in this draft I don't think is super flashy, but I think you know he he just makes plays. Um, and when you look at Cleveland's defense overall, they just need guys that can come in and contribute. And I think uh, Tommy Togai, Togiai is out of Ohio State is is that. They also get Tony Fields out of West Virginia. I mean, for everybody in Big 12 country, we've seen this guy at West Virginia. Uh, I think he came from Arizona, if I remember right, the transfer. But this is another pick, a little bit like the JOK pick, where somewhat of a tweener, but really good athleticism, and they will find a way to get him on the football field because I think he's just a playmaker. And then uh, Richard LeCount late in this draft at safety. This Richard LeCount out of Georgia played a lot of big-time football. He doesn't wow you with speed. He doesn't wow you with size. But again, he's he's just one of those guys that probably never becomes a star, but he might play 10 years in the league. Like He's just solid and can be that, that deep safety that uh, the Browns are looking for. So um, I thought the Browns had one of the best drafts in in this whole thing. I mentioned the Ravens earlier. Rashad Bateman, downfield playmaker for Lamar Jackson. Owe out of Penn State uh, is a guy that is unbelievably gifted physically. Didn't have a lot of production at Penn State. Didn't have a sack last year, actually. Which, you know, I, I've talked about this many times on the podcast if you listen consistently. I think sacks can be a little bit misleading, um, but... You know, it's it's all about you have to at least apply pressure. I think this guy is a developmental guy in in Baltimore could be really special down the road. Ben Cleveland out of Georgia is a guard that I wouldn't be shocked if by the end of this year is uh, a starting guard for the Ravens. Um, you know, Tylen Wallace, as I mentioned before, Sean Wade out of Ohio State is the pick after Tylen Wallace to Baltimore. This was a guy that a year ago was everybody penciled him in as a first round pick. Um, he got toasted. And, and this really stuck with me, I think, as far as going into the NFL draft. Watching him match up with Cornell Powell out of Clemson in that semifinal game, he just got toasted over and over and over. I do think he was playing out of position. I don't think he's an outside corner. Um, I think he's a, a slot corner, maybe a, you know a safety. Uh, but I, I felt like he was playing out of position at Ohio State, so that's probably the reason for the, the drop. But, yeah, he struggled mightily in, in that, uh, that semifinal game. So... Uh, but, you know, in the fourth, fifth round, that's it's a great pick because the upside is absolutely there. This guy could could be incredible. Um, we've seen him be incredible. So there's there's massive upside with, with Sean Wade. Uh, and then the Bengals. I thought after round one, going into round two, the Bengals had one of the most questionable drafts of anybody on night one. Not that they didn't get a good player, but Aaron and I talked about this in the draft broadcast. You have Joe Burrow and... Joe Burrow got hurt this year. You have your franchise quarterback. We can all see Joe Burrow's talented. He had success in year one. You have to protect him. They brought in Riley Reef in free agency to play the right tackle position. They drafted Jonah Williams out of Alabama a couple years ago to play the left tackle position. And they apparently feel pretty good about those guys in comparison to bringing in Panay Sewell. 
And they take Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow's college teammate. Again, it, you know, they have some good receivers with T. Higgins, who they got a year ago. Tyler Boyd's a solid receiver. Um, but I don't think they have a guy that that does what Jamar Chase does. Again, we talk about the receiver skill sets and how they're all kind of different. Jamar Chase will add another layer to Cincinnati. Um, the Cincinnati beat writer that I talked to a couple weeks ago told me a lot. They The, the Bengals think a lot of the sacks were... Um, because the receivers weren't getting open and not, not as much on the offensive line, um, but you know, coverage sacks. So Jamar chase is a guy that will help that situation. But the thing is, I mean, later in the draft, they got Jackson Carmen in the second from Clemson. Who's going to be, you know, everybody projects to be a guard at the NFL level. Um, I didn't, I didn't like him as a left tackle, but if you bump him into a guard, I think, uh, that's great value in the second round. So, and that was what they really needed. They felt like they needed more interior help than anything. So, they get Jackson Carmen. They get Joseph Osai, the edge rusher out of Texas, who I think is a terrific pick. And then they got two, my two favorite non-P5 guys, or I shouldn't say my two favorite, but maybe two of my top four favorite non-P5 guys, Cameron Sample out of Tulane and Deontay Smith, the, the offensive tackle I mentioned earl, earlier. They got Cameron Sample, who I, I think is j- the upside for Cameron Sample is through the roof. And the same thing for Deontay Smith. I thought he was one of the best 10 tackles in this draft, and they got him in the fourth round. Uh, so they really were able to uh, to add some offensive line depth that I, I like in the later rounds. So it makes the Jamar Chase pick a home run when you consider them passing on Panay Sewell but still being able to get offensive linemen later. Uh, Tyler Shelvin, the nose tackle from LSU, is going to be just a first and second down run stuffing option for them. Uh, so they get a guy in the middle. And then they add another offensive lineman with Trey Hill out of Georgia, a guy that played center at Georgia, um, can probably play either guard position or center. So another interior offensive lineman. Like I said, the AFC North in general, uh, with the Ravens, the Browns, and the Bengals, I thought all had really good drafts. Um, let's hit the, uh, let's see, we talked about the Cardinals. The Lions had one of my favorite drafts. Um Panay Sewell, obviously, uh, in the first round. The Lions have so many needs. It just, you know, it's best player available. You need to fill, you need talent help in every position. So, best player available. They go Panay Sewell in the first round. Levi Onwuzurike in the second round. The the defensive lineman out of Washington. Once again, I think as far as like three down interior defensive linemen, uh, they got a really good one there. One of my favorite picks of the entire NFL draft is the Lions taking Aleem McNeil in the third round. Aleem McNeil was a nose tackle at, at NC State. Um, I think in the NFL, he he you know he could obviously I think play nose tackle, but I I liked him in a four three as like a one technique. He was a three down nose tackle at NC State. He's he's a guy that commands two blockers on the line of scrimmage in the run game, and he is terrific in third down situations getting to the quarterback. So. One of my favorite picks in the draft, uh, Detroit taking Aleem McNeil in the third round. They also got uh, Ifitu Melifonwu, defensive back out of Syracuse. They got Amon Ross St. Brown, the receiver out of USC. Derek Barnes, linebacker out of Purdue. Um, I think all of those guys will contribute to Detroit. So I really liked their draft. Um, I talked a little bit about the Chiefs earlier. If you consider they traded the 31st pick for Orlando Brown, you were not going to get a better tackle than Orlando Brown at 31, not to mention anybody you got there. You know, you're going to have to go through the growing pains of those guys transitioning to the NFL. Orlando Brown is a proven commodity at the NFL level and I think a home run to play the left tackle spot for the Chiefs. Then they get Nick Bolton, the middle linebacker from Missouri, who is just a thumper. I mean, it's always like dynamite exploding when he gets to the ball carrier. Creed Humphrey, I, you know, one of the steals of the draft at the end of the second round. Joshua Kando from Florida State is a guy that uh, is like 6'7", 265, just the size, speed, athleticism that you want at defensive end. But the only reason he was taken so late is injuries. I mean, he's been hurt basically every year he was at Florida State. But when he's on the field, he was really good. And I I talked about Trey Smith as well. Um, Let's throw out one more team that I I really liked their draft, the Denver Broncos. And... You know, part of this is interesting because I thought they should have taken quarterback, especially with Justin Fields on the board in the first round at nine. Uh, there's still a lot of conversation about them potentially getting Aaron Rodgers. But they go Patrick Sertan in the first round. You know, this was my... I really struggled with the with the corners in this draft. I thought there were four just really 
unpolished, ready to contribute immediately if healthy corners in this draft. But, you know, I think as, as it got down to the finish line, too many health questions about Caleb Farley, and it kind of became Sertan or Horn and, and maybe, you know, just the overall skill set. Um, higher floor for Sertan, but maybe higher ceiling for Horn. Uh, regardless, the Broncos get Sertan, which is, you know, one of the best corners in the draft, and at nine, that's a bargain. They get Javante Williams, the running back out of North Carolina, to start the second round, and I think Javante Williams, to me, fantasy football people, just remember the name Javante Williams, Denver Broncos. Um, you know, Denver's interesting with the way they've used running backs in the past, but when I when I watched Javante Williams in comparison to like Travis Etienne and Najee Harris, and those were the three running backs that I really liked in this class, I actually had more fun watching Javante Williams than the other two guys. I, I think this guy's ability uh, to break tackles, to uh, to find the hole, to to run in space, to block the physicality, pass catching, like. This guy has a chance to be really special. I love this pick for the Broncos in the second round. Quinn Miners is also a guy that, um, you know, really, really uh, splashed at the Senior Bowl. Wisconsin Whitewater, small school guy, but he's a guy, you know, they need offensive line help. Other than Garrett Bowles, like the rest of that offensive line was pretty miserable last year. So Miners helps. Uh, Baron Browning. Holy cow. Baron Browning is um, a guy that uh, at the end of the third round, Played all three linebacker positions at Ohio State. Tested off the charts as far as the athleticism goes. Again, you talk about value picks. This one at the end of the third round, he's a guy that I think, you know, in today's NFL, you have to have versatility. There's versatility with Baron Browning, and I, I love this pick for Denver. I think he'll step in and play a linebacker starting position for them immediately. And then again, day two, I thought they killed it. Uh, Caden Stearns, look, when we went into day two, the two safeties that I really wanted for Dallas were Jamar Johnson and Caden Stearns. And Broncos got Caden Stearns and Jamar Johnson uh, in in the early stages of day three in this draft. So I, I thought they got, they got two safeties that I would have loved for the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, I think they got two safeties that, Jamar Johnson probably has a higher ceiling. You know, this is kind of the Sertan Horn thing. Jamar Johnson, I think, has the higher ceiling of the two, but Caden Stearns probably has the higher floor. Um, both of these guys, I think, can be terrific playmakers for Denver on the back end of that defense. Uh, and then a guy like uh, Kerry Vincent, nickel corner. Um, you know, I talked about that earlier with Elijah Molden. So I think uh, Denver did really well in this draft also. And look, we'll see if the Aaron Rodgers thing ends up happening. I, I've been told that Denver is the most logical landing spot for Aaron Rodgers and that they're not giving up on potentially bringing him in. So there you go. The NFL draft is here and gone, and we got through seven rounds on uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And now we start that process every year of uh, getting to the 2022 NFL draft. And if you guys have followed this at all, you know how crazy the draft process is just from the end of the football season through like the testing process. We didn't have a combine, but we had pro days. And then, you know, that four month period from the end of the season to the actual draft, we watch players draft stock go up and down and up and down and all over the place. And, uh, you know, now we're a year out. So we start projecting. I saw pro football network put out a, a two round 2022 mock draft, which, you know, again, I, I love these things and it's always fun to kind of get an idea of the guys that are being projected a year out and see how much that list changes by the time we get halfway through the season, the time we get to the end of the season, through all of the testing periods with the combine and pro days. But they had Pro Football Network had Spencer Rattler going seventh, Perry on Winfrey going twenty-sixth in the first round. They had Nick Benito as a second round pick going thirty-six. And Wanye Morris, the uh, Tennessee transfer tackle, going 48 in their draft. They also had a couple of Oklahoma State players going in the top two rounds. They had Colby Harvell Peel, the safety, going in the second round at pick 45. And Josh Sills, the offensive lineman, going 60 in their draft. And then uh, I think it was uh, Pro Football... No, not Pro Football Network. Um, who was the other one that did it? Uh, draft The Draft Network did a mock draft. They only had one Sooner and no Cowboys in their mock draft. So I just mentioned six total for Pro Football Network, but uh, the Draft Network only had one, and it was the number one overall pick, and they had that being Spencer Rattler. So uh, Rattler is is very much in play to be a top 10 pick 
in next year's draft and potentially the number one overall selection, depending how this season plays out. So, uh, again, it's always fun to kind of start to look at these things a year away, and it's fun to follow just the, you know, like the stock market, the rise and fall of uh, the the draft value of these guys. And it never, it never just stays level, right? Like none of these guys, unless your name is Trevor Lawrence, you just, you rarely see a guy that's projected to be the number one pick a year out and then still becomes the number one pick. Uh, or a guy, you know, that maybe is projected to be a number one pick like Dylan Moses a year ago, the linebacker from Alabama, and then he goes completely undrafted. Dylan Moses didn't get drafted. And a year ago, he was projected to be a top 10 pick. Um, you know, guys that come out of nowhere. Uh, Trey Lance, a year ago, was not on anybody's first-round radar, and he becomes the number three pick in the NFL draft. So um, these year-out NFL drafts, like I said, don't put much stock into them, uh, but they are fun to follow, and they're a good starting point to kind of get an idea of the players that that maybe should be on your radar as we, uh, you know, for the next 365 days, basically, uh, watch watch the wild road that is the NFL draft. All right, that is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Uh, check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, or Delta 8. Whether you're looking for something to help with pain, anxiety, or just an opioid alternative, Artisan Botanicals has what you're looking for. Plus, we're saving you 15% when you order online. Visit abotanicalcompany.com, use the discount code COLBYSHOW, like I said, and save 15% off your online order at Artisan Botanicals abotanicalcompany.com Everybody have a great day, stay safe, and I will see you tomorrow. Okay, it's over.